This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, This is Pastor Tom, and we are back to uh, Not Another Church Podcast. I have with me today... Hey, everybody. I'm Donna, and I am the Women's and Children's Minister here at North Glencoe. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue what we've been doing. We're going to try to actually knock out two flannel graph stories today. Oh, yay. So we have um, uh, Abraham sending his servant to get uh, his son, the son of promise, a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, as I read, re- just, just reread through the story to familiarize myself with it and was just a little scared about the idea of someone that works for my dad picking my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you stop, how close was this? But he had to be pretty close. I mean, he had to be an intimate part of the family that he's going just. But for us culturally, just the idea that anybody picks out my wife, uh, my oh, spouse, absolutely. you know, not wife, but my spouse. Well, when uh, I have a friend who is uh, from India, Nagalan and Kika mm-hmm. Jameer, and mm-hmm. we both had a mutual friend who's a pastor whose wife left him and as you guys know, as a as a pastor, that's a double-edged sword because not only did he lose his wife and children, she got custody, but he lost his job and his career because right. in Southern Baptist life, it's really hard to stay employed if you're you're divorced. Um, and I remember Kika calling me and saying, "Hey, I, I heard about this situation. Um, why don't you just get those two families together so that they they can fix this?" And I'm like, what? They'll, they'll find him a spouse. Well, no, no. What he no? meant was, was that if the if the husband and wife can't get along in India, what would happen is the husband's wife's family and the wife's family would get together, argue through who's right, who's wrong, and what needs to happen so that the marriage survives, and then they go back to the husband and wife and say, "All right, this is what you're going to do. You, sir, are going to start." doing this with your career because you're not providing for her or you ma'am are going to shut your mouth or whatever the families figure out what to do no way and then see I, I base that on i heard a story of a guy from india a long time ago and his family <clears throat> traditionally because of their culture he, he had had someone who um they had written home to family they had left in india they had migrated to Canada. So he he had written home to some, you know, like aunt and uncle, grandma, somebody that's still over there. And they found him a wife. Yeah, there's a Netflix and series that's like the, is the, there really? the, the Indian spouse finder kind of thing. And it's a lady in um, Bangalore or Delhi. And what she does is these guys who've come to the United States, made a lot of money, pay her to find them a spouse they want they wanted someone from their their home country yeah so you kind of get that i remember being so shocked as i was listening to this story about and the point of the the it was actually part of a sermon which went on to the point of the message being how love is a choice you know right that we choose who we love but but it started with that story and i'm you know a young american housewife at the time and i'm like wait what you just let grandma and aunt Becky, choose your spouse, you know, and I thought, wow, that's crazy. But culturally, it was a norm for them. Well, and statistically, uh, marriages, arranged marriages survive uh, at a much higher rate statistically than love marriages. Um, Mm. And so 
in a way that kind of makes sense to me because of the idea. I, some of it makes sense because you it, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of interconnecting with nobility and duty and family right. and all that kind of thing. Plus, there is the idea that you've walked into it choosing to love them in the first place. Also, that you're not young and making a decision based on attraction versus compatibility. Right. You know? And in, in the Netflix series, there's a lot of work that goes into making sure that the two people are compatible. She sits down and interviews everybody, and it's an interesting series. I'm not. I had no idea Netflix contained that. I'll yes. have to. I'll have to look so, that one up. This episode of Not Another Church Broadcast brought to you from the fine folks at Netflix. <laughs> Netflix for all your viewing needs. Yes. All right. So our story starts out with now Abraham is old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who he had put in charge of all that he had, he made him swear that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. So the servant says, rightfully so, perhaps this woman may not be willing to follow me back. Strange. <laughs> yes. So he's like, okay, so I'm supposed to kidnap her? What exactly? I need to know how far my boundaries are. Yes. <laughs> yes. So Abraham says, see to it that you do not take my son back there because he knew that God had called him to come to the land of, of Israel. But you go get her. Um, do you think that was just an, a moment of I don't want my son to be attracted to our home country? Well, he actually said, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, uh, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. Um, so clearly Abraham, is say, uh, Abraham thinks that this is where God's going to bless. Abraham, remember, left everything and went to this land and has been blessed, according to the text, right. mightily. Right. In fact, the servant, when he does find a woman... And I know said, it's connected to the promise. Right. You know, I, yeah. So Abraham is probably thinking that if Isaac goes against what his God has asked him to do, then he's going to lose all the blessing. Okay. And so... I, I just, you know, as you read that, you go, okay, is this is this part of the obedience? Is he really keeping it strict there? Is he worried that Isaac is not going to follow what God's commanded the him and his descendants to do? You know, if he's going to be too attracted to the home country or having family, extended family all around, you know. So... Um, Abraham says to him uh, that um, God will send his angel before you, and you shall take my wife from my home country, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you are free from this oath. So he made the servant swear that he would not try to take for, for Isaac a, a wife there. But So the servant, go, and I love that the text doesn't tell us the guy's name. He's just... Yeah. Yeah. This guy. And he, he is stepping, the, this dude, the servant, is stepping out in faith in a huge way because, A, he does not, when it says he's going from Israel to Mesopotamia, he's not going to crab in a flight. Yeah. Yes. So, and on going on these trade routes, uh, a high probability that you might get robbed, that you might get jumped. Yeah. He, it says that he took all this stuff, uh, he, he took 10 of his master's camels, uh, all sorts of choice gifts from his masters, and arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So he's traveling with wealth. He's traveling with a bunch of loot, so he, the likelihood that something could happen to him is huge. So the fact that Abraham writes this check for God and says, God, God will send his angel with you, is showing that this guy's got a lot of faith. 
I mean, this guy is believing in the, in, in the God of Abraham. Um, and you know, I reflexively almost said in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes. <laughs> so he gets to Nahor, and he makes the camels li- li- uh, sit down outside of the city. And again, we had talked last time uh, uh, when we were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, the idea of hospitality. Right. And so he's fishing for hospitality here. Mm-hmm. He makes the camels lay to, lie down outside, and he waits. At the time of the evening when the women go out to draw water. And he prayed and said, Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham. Now, there's an interesting thing here, and we talked about this the other day. Whenever in your English Bible you have capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d, you're looking at one of the L words for God. Mm -hmm. Um, Or um, uh, Adonai. So... In this case, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is God's proper name, which is Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here he refers to God as the I Am. Um, he is that, is, that is him saying that you're my God, but he then uh, says, he says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one who you've appointed for your servant Isaac. Now by this I shall know that you have showed steadfast love to my master. So he's, in Christianese, he's putting out a fleece here. Yes. And so he's (laughs) like, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to troll for hospitality, and whatever woman offers water for me and the camels, let that be Abraham's, uh, the, the, the Isaac's wife. Now, I will say, this is kind of embarrassing, but this is the truth, that as a 12, 13-year-old boy reading this text, <laughs> I ascribed certain, okay, so God, this is how would I want for it to be my <laughs> wife. No way. Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham. <laughs> Please bring me a woman. You were looking for a camel and a whale, weren't you? Yes. Um, so God, as I sit out in my Dodge Dart swinger. <laughs> we just need a color for it. That's yeah. right. It was gold. Gold, okay. Yes. With a brown, that that uh, Naga uh, old person top. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember that. Oh, gosh, wow. Uh, yeah, that was, I was a player. Back. We had a flashback. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Yeah, okay, but you see, so the servant is there, and, and immediately what grabs me is that he's about his master's business. He's not hanging around. He's not playing any games. He's already crying out to God. He has sat down. He's, you know, as you said, Christianese, he's thrown the fleece out. You know, he's set the camel down. He's set some standards. He's like, okay, God, you know, if bring her on. This is what I need to know what you want done. And the text goes on to say, before he had finished speaking, Rebekah, who was born to um, Bethuel, the son of Melchi, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Mm-hmm. So this is a great niece. But while he's still praying this prayer, she comes up, offers him water. Um, he, he tells her what his prayer had been. He gives her a gold bracelet, uh, a uh, gives her a gold ring weighing a half shekel, which is um, 11 grams, about uh, two-fifths of a pound. This is a big hunk of gold. Gives her a ring, gives her an armband, um, 
and says, whoever's daughter you are, tell him that I, I claim you for my servant Abraham's um, son. son yes. And so she is all about it because I'm sure as a young, probably 13, 14-year-old girl, she's loving this attention. She's so she's then, got some gifts. Right. I, I mean. <laughs> so without getting into all the detail, Rebecca's, who's the girl's name, brother comes out and says, what's up? Because there's a different culture here between men speaking to women, between what's going on. This this looked really bad. Uh, so the uh, Laban, her, her brother, comes up, interjects, gets in the middle of this, and eventually a deal is worked out where Rebecca marries Isaac. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, as a young teenager, um, I thought, okay, here is how God wants us to find a wife. <laughs> I Other people looking at this might think, well, this means that God... I mean, while he's praying, um, she answers the immediacy uh-huh. uh, answers the prayer. I've heard people preach that, you know, if if you really claim it in Jesus' name, that you know, you don't even have to finish pray, praying it until uh, God's going to answer it. Recognize that from Abraham, God had said that he would raise up a, a group of people from whom he would bless the earth. Isaac getting a wife isn't about Isaac. Um, it's about God doing what his plan is. Right. Isaac is nothing more than a conduit through which God is going to bless the, the world. Right. That coming Savior. And so this servant's prayer being answered was really kind of a foreordained. God was going to provide the wife. God had already told Abraham, from your seed, someone is coming. And yet, um, that doesn't make the fear, the anxiety, uh, everything that you see in the servant's life less real. It doesn't make the fact that Isaac is sitting at home going, my dad's employee is going to find me a wife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Less real. Or for Rebecca. Or for Rebecca. She's a young girl. She's gotten some nice gifts that seems to be, you know, extended family. It's all, you know, it, it looks legit. They come in. They, you know, I know they, they, they invite him home with them and get to know him. And then she travels back on faith herself. So this particular text, this particular story, and this is what I'm, I'm pushing for, is, um, is precious to me. In fact, in the front of my Bible... Um, I literally have, and I'm showing Donna so that I can yes, prove it, yes. Genesis 24, 27, because it, that, I wouldn't say it's a life verse, but it's, it's a guiding principle through my life. And Genesis 24, 27 is the re- servant's response as this story works out. He says, Blessed be Yahweh, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abram, Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Okay, so th- that's what this is what he's saying. That God is always going to be faithful. Always going to be faithful. He, he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of my mather, master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God is always going to do what he said he's going to do. As I read the Great Commission at, at, where Jesus tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, I can then flip over a couple hundred pages in my Bible and read in the book of Revelation the fulfillment of that Great Commission. Jesus yes. says, you're going to go yes. take the gospel to every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And then I can read John 
either John or the Holy Spirit wants borrowing from word for word so that there's a, someone from every tongue, every tribe, every nation standing around the throne saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. It is a foregone conclusion that what God's commanded his disciples to do, what God said he was going to do through his church is going to be completed. Yes, so that covenant with Abraham here, you see it coming back into play in that servant's life that he's watched. He's seen the events that have happened that we've already been talking about over the last few weeks. Absolutely. He knows that covenant. He's seen what happened with that, or he was either there, possibly when Abraham traveled with the servants to the, of course, he would have stayed down. But he knew the story of how God had provided, and he has seen God be faithful in the life of his master. And so for this servant, what he's saying is, is that God has led me in the way. So God didn't lead him to Nabon's house in Israel. He didn't give him a map. He didn't tell him this is how he's going to do it. He just said, go. And as he went, while he's in the way, while he's literally taking those steps, God leads him. To me, that explains human, the human experience as a Christian who believes that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. It's still my responsibility to take the next steps. Correct. It's still my responsibility to do the things that I'm required and called upon to do. And as I'm doing that, as I'm in the way, then God's going to be involved in, in leading me. We don't know this servant's name. He's just Abraham's servant. And so it's okay for me as a pastor to love my wife, love my family, preach the gospel, love my church, die, and be forgotten. Nobody needs to know my name for me to be faithful. God needs to know my name. And you know what? The Bible says that my name is tattooed on his hand. And he does. He's not going to forget it. And so I can rest in the fact that I'm not fighting as a pastor of this church or as the husband of my wife and family. I'm not fighting for my fame or for my name to be written down in the annals of time. I am fighting for faithfulness to my Savior. And that changes the way everything's looked at. Which, as we're talking through this, I'm going back in my mind to thinking of the times when, you know, you have a job option. You know how how you know how this for us today, like the rubber meets the road kind of thing. How we practically apply this somewhere? Do I take this job? Do I stay at this job? Do I go here? Do I go there? And we have this idea that um, I, I mean, I've even made the joke myself. I'd like a little post-it note to drift down from heaven where God sure. can show me what's in His plan, without realizing that whatever I do. Where I go, if I'm faithful to him, he's going to take that and direct my life in the path that's going to lead me to ultimately glorify him, whatever that job is or that what new car you buy or, you know, whatever your decision is that you're making as you walk through life. He's going to take that and use that to his glory through my faithfulness and just walking it out. And, you know, I don't have to have a post-it note. (laughs) I I only look at and trust that God's hand is going to work through the small decisions in my life to bring him to a place where, or bring me to a place where I am used by him for his honor and his glory to fulfill his plan. Absolutely. And And I think it's really important that we recognize, you know, because honestly, uh, if you look at our culture, our culture really lies to us. Uh, I, 
I was doing some counseling with a young lady in her early 20s yesterday, and we were saying, okay, so if you pick, go, you go right now, and, and I, I, I don't know, but I know. If I go right now to Walmart and grab a, a, one of the magazines sitting there at the register, same magazine is going to say um, how to be, uh, to, um, to, to be satisfied in your body. You gotta put love a, yourself. Put a number beside three ways to do this. Right. Three, yeah, three ways to, 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 to love your own body. <laughs> and then the next one's going to be three ways to make your man happy. And then the next one's going to be a recipe for a thousand calorie cake. And then the next article is going to be the, uh, the latest how, how do you Exercise just use lemon juice <laughs> to, to lose a <laughs> yes. hundred pounds? Yes. So, all if you just look at the, the cover, you don't even have to open the stupid thing, you can look at the cover and see. The self-contradictory ideas that will make a person miserable if you try to satisfy all of those requirements that mm-hmm. are culture. It says you've got to be skinny, but you've got to be satisfied with your body the way it is. It's, it, I mean, I, I, I actually read a, 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 when I'm really bored at night and can't sleep, there's a website that, has, that publishes people's doctoral thesis, mm-hmm. and some of them are really funny. Some of them are really fun. This particular one was looking at the quantity and quality of alcohol that James Bond drank in the <laughs> movies. And what would it mean if a real human being drank as much as James Bond does in the movie? And essentially, by the time he got to the third movie, realized that there's no way that a human being can live this way. Because he's drinking like eight and nine alcoholic drinks an hour in yes. any given episode. So this guy's stumble drunk and his liver has ran out of his body yes. and be like, ah, I run into the night. So it, we're given this unrealistic, unattainable goal set from the world constantly. And that's whether it's you're, you need to be athletic, but you need to drink beer to be happy. You got to blah, 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 blah. On and on and yeah, on and on yeah. we could go. Really, all that it. Unsatisfied is all that the, it's really looking for. Is that we're we're always unsatisfied because what they really want us to do is spend some money to try to be satisfied. And we see all the memes that float through social media that says, "Here I am trying to be satisfied with my life," but and then it has a little list of, "I, I have to have my laundry done, but I don't need to shame my friends if they don't. I need to, you yes, know, absolutely. you know, one of those little memes where it goes through and says, you know, here here either this or that, but but be okay with it, you know." And, and we've gotten so used to that that when, you know, COVID first came out and they, people would say, you know, all the self-contradictory, um, you know, take care of your neighbors, but don't leave your house kind of thing. And it's just like, how am I supposed to do all this? Check on your neighbors, but not, not, in, not at their door. <laughs> you <know>? So <clears throat> all that to say, um, we can find satisfaction in as we go recognizing um, that God knows what he's doing. Yeah. And that the world tells us if you go to a funeral or you go to um, a graduation, the people will say things like, make your mark on this world. Mm-hmm. or And you know what? All that's a lie. It is. Uh, in two generations, nobody's going to know who you are. I don't care if you make a mark. I, I, I mean, we could go to the local university and you can name off people on the, na- on the sides of those buildings. And I can guarantee you the majority of, if not everyone, will not know who it is that's on this building or that building. Or if you just wait 100 years from now, nobody will. No, I mean, I, I've used it as a sermon illustration at, in, um, 
at Samford where I, I went to school, um, in the law, Cumberland School of Law, as you walk in the building, there is a huge mural of a dude standing there uh, with his hand on a globe looking very, very important. I asked probably 20 people, who is that? Because I just wanted to know who it was. There was no little plaque there. Mm-hmm. Is it is that Mr. Samford? I mean, who who is this <laughs> yes. guy? It doesn't look like Fred Samford, so I, it's not him. And it took me um, a couple of years to find somebody who said, oh, that was the guy. He was the Secretary of State uh, the first term of FDR. And so he gave the first money that, that started the school when it was in Tennessee, which is why it's called Cumberland. It's not in Cumberland. Um, and so... But nobody knew who it was, and, and that dude made his mark on, on the world. 99% of the world is, is looking at you like, who? What? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so the, the point of that is is that if God gives us a way, what he is calling us to do is to live our life in obedience to him, to live our lives to fight for that well done, my good and faithful servant. And if we do that then, yeah, we will be forgotten. But we're going to be forgotten otherwise. And and doing it that way, we know that it's an attainable goal. We're a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. It matters for eternity. It matters for eternity. And Jesus, in multiple parables, pointed out that in this world, people forget they're they're fighting for a little happiness here that's only, best-case scenario, 75 years, 80 years? 80 maybe, yeah. And then eternity in hell, or you fight, you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that's eternal. Yeah. And that just makes more sense. Yeah. I mean, Jesus actually told his disciples, you know what, the people of the world are actually smarter than the children of light about this. Hook yourself up, dude. Yeah. Work in this life to set yourself up for eternity. And so we see that beautifully in this picture. And again, uh, this text in, in Genesis is is one of my go-tos because honestly— Again, as we, you get in day-to-day life, things come at you quickly, and it's easy to forget and just get caught up in either to kind of become numb to what's going on around you, just get caught up into getting through today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like— That sort of survival versus—I mean, because I mean, we all want to be—everybody has that desire, or, or most everybody, I should say, probably has that desire to be excellent at something. To, to be uh, to be able to do something to do it well and um, you know that desire is not necessarily wrong but like all of our other desires if it's something that we turn and use for the kingdom then that's something that God takes and uses us to build his kingdom and makes eternal difference or if we take that talent or gift and, and we use it for our own glory it, it's wood hay and stubble is you know the phrase that comes to mind in, right. in christianese i mean it's going to burn up it's going to go away it's not going to matter and even with you know as us having um a graduate this year at, at one point we had one of those conversations where i said you know I, i'm proud of you I, I i like that you've done some good things here but you know we always we've made jokes and stuff about you know don't peak in high school you know i I would dare say a better phrasing even would be don't peak in this life don't think that this life is is the end if your focus is here and now um then for you for eternity it's going to be a bit of a letdown you know quite a bit uh, yeah 
but I mean, not really, but as we walk into heaven and walk into God's kingdom, realizing that if we spend our time, talents, efforts, all the resources that God has given us building his kingdom and his glory, um, how satisfying to our souls that will be. Yes. And so, um, you got me distracted there with the idea of not peaking in high school. Uh, I'm we, sorry. We gotta get <laughs> we gotta get back to the, to the back to the story. Meanwhile, um, meanwhile, so Laban, uh, who who we will we will meet later, um, yes, work, works out a deal with the servant. Uh, Rebecca comes back with her servant. Says uh, Rebecca and her young women rose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now Isaac had returned uh, and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the fields toward evening, as he lifted up his eyes and saw. And behold, there were camels coming, and Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who's that man walking in the field? I love that. Hey, <laughs> yes. hey who's that hey. dude? Hey, who's that guy right there? And he said, It's my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Um, and uh, Isaac told, the servant told Isaac all that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted in his, mother, in his mother's death because her, in the story, um, Isaac's mom, Sarah, died. So it's exactly what, what Isaac needed. It's exactly what needed to, to fulfill what God had told Abram, uh, later Abraham, that through your seed, I will bless the whole earth. And we're seeing... That Abraham has a son who has Isaac, who has a son, and uh, or has two sons actually, and and we will pick up uh, next week with Esau and Jacob. The story leads us to uh, after Sarah dies, um, Abram Abraham lives for 175 years, and at 175 years he breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Um, so. Here we have uh, God fulfilling the promise and doing exactly what he told Abraham he would do in spite of Abraham, in spite of uh, the twists and turns of Abraham's obedience at times and disobedience at times, uh, his, the times when he depended on God to, to provide for him and the times when he tried to do it his own way and, oh, well, I'm going to lie my way out of this or whatever. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about that is is that uh, none of us look back across our lives, uh, and I don't think any of us are going to live to be 175, but um, none of us look back and go, yeah, I, I nailed that one. I got it perfect. Yeah. And and I will say, from a woman's perspective, you kind of scooted by this, but that's a beautiful love story. Oh, it is a beautiful it, love story. It's so, I know, you don't want to talk about that, but I mean, for, for, oh, you know, it kind of makes us like dreamy-eyed, but you look at that, and, and Isaac loved her. And it's such a simple statement, but he took her in. He chose to love her, and, I mean, all was not perfect in their life. (laughs) But, as we will find out as we continue the story, but it's not going to be for any of us. And um, so marriage isn't absolutely perfect for all the days of our lives. I mean, yes, don't make me go in on here. <laughs> Anne has had time. it fantastically. She's had a beautiful romantic life with her right. husband. That yeah, has background music and perfect lighting, and you know the winds blowing her hair all day. Right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> but I, I just think it's just a beautiful story, and I wanted to stop, just pause you there for a minute, just to say, you know, oh, because we do see where God gives us someone to love, and 
probably for those who listen to this who are either struggling in a difficult marriage or even for those who are single. And, you know, for this period of time, God has appointed for your life to be one where you're walking it out without a without that companion that, um, you know, we see that God sees that and knows that and, and your life is still designated to glorify him, even in a difficult season or a hard season that doesn't end beauti- beautifully with Rebecca being veiled and walking across the fields to Isaac, you know. Yes, uh, and it is a beautiful picture of of when she she looks and, and you know, and I think of uh, with in the church. I have twice now taught through the Book of Song of Solomon, and uh, it's easy for for folks to to dismiss romantic feelings, but that's an important part of of the beginnings of a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can't read Song of Solomon and um, realistically read it and not hyper-allegorize it and miss that God is saying, hey, this is cool. God's the one who made this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, first and second chapters of Song of Solomon, they, they are seriously into each other. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. <laughs> I, 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 I can't think of anything to respond that was would not be inappropriate for the podcast. Well, but, and what was know. really funny is, I, I, again, 12, 13 years old, I'm at, I'm at church growing up at White Chapel. <laughs> Somebody referred to, like at a jubilee or something, um, Song of Solomon as a, the rated R book of the Bible. So you hurriedly flew from Genesis 24. So, no, I, yeah, I like get that You're night, you know, pages. get, get, cl- I'm going to bed early, go to study the Bible, and I start reading, and it's like, I'm having a hard time with Solomon being like, yes, hey, baby, you look like a flock of goats, and I'm like, what, what? Describing your teeth, or, <laughs> That's, yeah. oh, yes, multiple times, he is into the fact, you got, not only your teeth beautiful, you got them all, baby. You got all your teeth, baby. You got all your teeth, honey. <laughs> Um, we l- joked in the young marriage classes. We went through through that. Uh, yeah, you can't you can't directly. <laughs> no, you you, you can take not. from Song of Solomon. You need to compliment your wife. You can't directly go, "Hey, baby, you looking like the Tower of Babel." <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just I, I can't respond to that one, Tom. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, but the whole thing. I mean, you get a beautiful love story there. You get romantic feelings. We see that throughout the Bible that God is one of the gifts that He has given um, to mankind. And um, but my heart always kind of twinges a little bit when I because I've got several women that I am close to and love very much that are single. And so going through years where they are doing it alone, um, sometimes it is by a decision that they are content therein and sometimes it's not so um and 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 then you know i have used and and said before you know your life is as we've in discussions you know talking about that our all of our lives are meant to glorify god and they're always kind of like yeah but you're happily married so from the outside of that that all looks fine and dandy but it's hard and it's a difficult struggle for them and you know god's word actually walks us through we have this story, and uh, we have that we'll be going through some difficult marriages in a few oh, weeks, yeah. uh, and sometimes <laughs> yeah. there, there's seasons where um, where that's going on. You have the story of Ruth, where she mm-hmm. becomes widowed, um, and that God eventually turns that uh, into a beautiful love story. But that takes time, and that has to happen within God's plan, um, and which is why that that the text in Genesis is such a beautiful one because uh, 
no matter where you are in your journey, it's in the way that God is moving. Mm-hmm. It's in the way as we go. And I think all of us at different seasons of our life have have cried out to God and said, I, I, I don't want to be here. This is not what I want to be This is in. not. Yeah. I, and I will say that right, right now I'm in one of those seasons where because of some health issues, I want to I want to question God. I'm like, this is not okay. I don't know what we got plan we got going on here, but I, I think we're making a mistake. I, I think that I'd, I'd really like to review this. We being God, you mean? Yeah, me, <laughs> me and God need to sit down <laughs> you and kind of <laughs> let's whiteboard this out because I'm waiting don't, for your counsel. Yes, yes, yes. and yeah. and and it's easy for us to say I, I don't like this. I don't want it to happen this way. In when it's in our windshield now. My experience in life uh, has been that in a few years when it's in your rearview mirror, then you go, oh, I see what God was doing to some degree. To some degree, we're not going to see until we get to heaven. We, or it may be a situation that you never come out from under. Absolutely. Um, but In this life. That those kind of moments when you are alone or you are not in a situation where, where you want to be, that's where faith our faith is really becomes real. It's easy to, to say, oh yeah, God's, God's got this. Mm-hmm. When my car's running the way it's supposed to, the kids are acting the way they're supposed to. So many times I see, you know, when, when a prayer request is answered in the way that we want it to be answered and people are saying God is good. And, and it's true. Don't stop saying that. If you're one of those who puts that out there, God is good, praise his name. But there are times when somebody gets a difficult diagnosis that, you know, we still stand on the same thing. God is still good, and my life is still meant to praise and honor Him. There are, I know of two women in our church who, over 10 years ago, both of them lost their spouse, and both of them still sign when they're writing cards. I, I, I recently uh, got a card from, from both of them, and both of them signed them and their husband's name on the card from 50 years of habit. Mm-hmm. And that's both extremely beautiful and extremely sad. And tragic and hard. At the same time. Um, If you're in that, know that as the church staff, that our heart bleeds for you, that it does hurt, that we do know that um, life is difficult. And, you know, Tom and Ann recently have been through a serious time of that. Um, Matt, who's one of our student, uh, he was our student pastor and one of our staff here has, has been, is going through a difficult time in the loss of his mother. So a, as we go through these stories, know that as we're watching God's hand work in all of their lives, that the more we experience that pain, the more we stop and realize that Isaac's loss of his mother was affecting who he was at the time. But God's Because clearly his dad's trying to kill him. Yeah. But his, but you know, even through all of that, God is working in his life. And again, I think it's super important for us to realize that God's working his plan, not ours. Yes. Yeah. And, but, but you know, that all goes back, and we've talked about this and we've laughed a hundred times. You go back to Adam and Eve. You know, we, we all want it to be our way. Oh, sure. We want it. We want to make the changes. We want to be God. We want, you know, we want to be in control of everything. Mm-mm-mm. So, if you're in a difficult time or you're in a happy time, um, know that God is good, and um, it's in the way that that He is to be praised and that He leads. So, uh, this has been not another church podcast, and next week we're going to be looking at um, two very different men 
uh, Esau and Jacob. So I look forward to seeing you then, and uh, y'all go serve your king. This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening, and go serve your king.